Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Good, good. We're going well. Um, as we just touched on off air, good to have the playoffs here in earnest, but um, yeah, just probably haven't <laughs> been as engaged in it as we probably all like to be with the, the Easter break uh, happening and an opportune time to, to put the tools down and, and get away and spend some family time, which is why we're a little bit delayed, obviously, this week. No, we are, mate. As you said, the playoffs have kicked off, but you got away with the family, mate. How was how was the, the Easter weekend? No, it's always fun uh, getting away. It's actually my favourite time of the year, Easter. It's just, I like the crisper nights and the colder mornings. And, and then, a bit yeah, of chocolate too, it's fair to say, Caddy? Uh, not my style of chocolate, which would be surprising to our listeners, but um, yeah, more of a, a lolly man if I'm going to go down the sweet track. But yeah, even then. Bit of snakes alive. Uh, <laughs> I'll try and um, steer clear of it, more of a savoury type operator. Um, when the cheese platters come out, it's hard to contain me. But uh, the chocolate doesn't quite do it for me. But that's not to say my my kids certainly haven't inherited that. There, they were right into it um, as they always are. Very good, mate. I didn't realise you were a Bree man. Well, I should have known you were a Bree man. <laughs> that was pretty obvious, wasn't it, Caddy? But a yeah, uh, couple of wheels of the triple Bree style over the weekend. Um, <laughs> measure, so, yeah. Very nice, very nice. But as you said, Caddy, the playoffs have kicked off. The business. End of the season, we've got uh, six of the eight series have had two games so far. We've got uh, a couple of games, game twos tomorrow. So we've we've got a bit to digest here. So we're just going to run through each series and sort of take the temperature on each, each one of them and see where we think it's heading at the moment. So we'll kick it off in the East, Caddy, with the, with the one-seed Miami Heat versus the eight-seed Atlanta Hawks. We had game two today, but game one went 115-91 to Miami. And again, game two, 115 to Miami. 105 to Atlanta, and it was it was driven by Jimmy Butler today. He had a career playoff high, 45 points, five assists, and five rebounds. Joining Dwayne Wade and uh, LeBron James is the only two players in Miami Heat history to put up those sort of numbers, and the only one out of those three to not have a turnover. So he was outstanding, 12 of 25 from the field, four of seven from three. For whatever reason, Jimmy Butler seems to find his three point shot uh, when the playoffs come around. He also had a really good game one as well. But I guess the story so far, Caddy, this series has been, I guess, the disappointing return um, from Trey Young. So in game one, he had eight points, six rebounds and four assists. Also had six turnovers on top of that. He was only one of 12 from the field, 0 of 7 from three. Today, his numbers on paper look a little bit better. He was 25, 6 and 7, shot 50% from the field, but a career-high 10 turnovers. So it's looking pretty dire at the moment, although you can't get too carried away, I suppose, with the, with the first seed, obviously, Holding, uh, holding serve at home court, which you'd expect. But what are you seeing so far out of this series, Caddy? Does it look like Miami Heat have sort of figured out a way to to slow Trey Young down? And and this is obviously going to make it pretty difficult for Atlanta to get back into the series. Yeah, look, it seems that way. I think um, you know credit to Atlanta first off for for making their way into the playoffs. I don't think we've we've spoken officially since the end of the play-ins where they were able to sort of come from the, the ninth spot and, and get through um, Cleveland in that last game and, and make their way into the playoffs, which, you know, we've spoken about a number of times this year, was probably a, at least a minimum requirement we would have thought um, on the back of a really good last year. But, um, yeah, Trey Young was superb in, in both those playing games and it was a bit of, here we go again on the back of what he um, showed last year as a big-time performer. But, yeah, whether it the occasion or he might have just been gas going to that game one, um, certainly didn't. Turn it on, uh, and you, you read the numbers. I think it was only the second time, perhaps this year, he'd scored under dub, double figures. So it was really one out of the box. Played a bit better again today, but still the three ball uh, not falling. Yeah, they, they've probably just looked to be a, another star short now. Like John Collins hasn't quite 
come on. We know he's come back from um, a, a fair layoff into to play in these playoffs. But really, they just seem to be a bit light on in the star department now. DeAndre Hunter today got himself into foul trouble and wasn't able to contribute what he'd probably necessarily like to. They got good support today off Bogdanovich from the bench. But yeah, when De- you know you got a starter in Gallinari today, zero from six for two points um, for the day. You know you're just not getting enough support there around Trey Young and and Miami. I suppose again um, continue to be underrated probably going in even to this series. People might have been giving Atlanta a bit of a half a sniff on the back of you know, their form coming in uh, through the play-in. But, uh, you know, they were the one seed for a reason and, and they've been able to really stamp their authority uh, on the series straight away and, and do what they've had to do and protect home floor. And it'll be interesting to see now whether Atlanta have got anything left in the tank to, to throw back at them in game three at home. But, um, yeah, the depth of the heat and getting, you know, uh, some you know big performances on any given night really from any of their players is, is making it pretty hard for Atlanta to sort of lock into so what they need to do to shut shut uh, the Miami Heat team down? It certainly is, and you touched on the fact that Atlanta need a bit more around Trey Young now. Bob Donovich is actually their leading scorer in the series so far at seventeen and a half points a game. He, he's been pretty good uh, for them coming off the bench. But you, you brought up uh, DeAndre Hunter's name, and and I agree. Uh, he's you know his numbers appear okay on, on paper at fifteen points a game, fifty percent from the field. 42%, almost 43% from three, but he just doesn't do a hell of a lot outside of that. He's averaging only two and a half rebounds and hasn't even had an assist so far in the series. So he was one guy that we identified at the start of the season that we were looking to to take a big leap. Now, he's had some injuries as well that, you know, could probably excuse him a little bit, but I don't think he's come on, you know, as much as, as the Hawks would have wanted. They gave up, you know, two future first picks to move up in the draft to, to get him because they saw him as that, as that wing defender type 3 and D sort of style play that they needed to put around Trey Young, but I don't think he's probably come on as much as they would have liked, it, you know, and, and switching over to Miami Heat. Uh, perspective. Butler's just been outstanding uh, in game one and game two, and it's just been sort of a an even spread outside of that. I, I think that's been the most impressive thing, and we've spoken about this a number of times about Miami throughout the season, about that, that even spread they do get across the, the entire roster, but Duncan Robinson, who's, who had a massive game one, 27 points, 8 of 9 from 3, only played 7 minutes today and didn't even take a shot. Now, he's still their second leading scorer in the series, so outside of Butler... You know, Robinson, Struess and Hero are all in double figures. But, you know, you have to go down to, if I go down the roster, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth, is that right? Eighth, the, the eighth leading scorer from the series is Bam Adebayo. They're, you know, they're all-star big man. So, you know, he's been outstanding on the defensive end and he's certainly contributing in, in a large way to, to making life really difficult for Trey Young. But the fact that they've looked so dominant throughout the series when really outside of Jimmy Butler, they probably haven't got their offensive game going, I, I think speaks volumes to, to, to this team that Miami Heat have been able to put together. And, you know, you, you brought up Victor Oladipo and you asked me how much of a, an impact or, or a run you'd I thought he'd get throughout the playoffs. He hasn't even taken the floor as yet, and I did say that he'd probably struggle to get into the rotation. So it's probably not that surprising, but that just illustrates the depth that the Miami Heat do have. So 2-0 at the moment, Caddy, as I mentioned at the start. How do you see this this series shaping out? Is there, is there any chance that this is going to be a sweep, or, or do you think uh, Atlanta can sort of put up a little bit of a fight? I mean, you'd like to think they should be able to at least uh, hold serve once at home. To, to push the series into five. But, you know, I thought they bounced back reasonably well today. The writing was, was not looking good on the wall from game one, but they were able to hang in 
even close the margin into, I think it was about three points with a couple of minutes left today before Butler went bang, bang again and extended uh, the lead out to the, the final margin of 10. So, yeah, look, uh, you'd hope that they've got, you know, one last uh, bit of fight in them, Atlanta, um, to, to at least hold one game at home would be my my guess and, and push it to five and Miami to close it out at home in the fifth game. But, uh, look, a sweep wouldn't surprise me either the way that Miami have started off. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd at least give Atlanta the opportunity to win one game at home, I'd, I'd, you know, at least hope. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think it's a five-game series as well. You think that whether it's game three or game four, they should be able to snap a one. And it was a 14-0 run uh, in that last quarter that got Atlanta back into the game after um, Miami had opened up a 17-point lead. And as you said there, it was Butler that was able to close the game out for the Heat. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That obviously, game three is huge when a series is 2-0. So if Atlanta dropped game three, it's obviously a long way back from there. We'll move on now, Caddy, to... No doubt the most intriguing series that we've got so far. Only one game so far in the 2v7, the Boston, uh, the Boston versus Brooklyn series. And, and what a game one we had, Caddy. It was Boston 115 to 114. You know, Boston got the win on a Jason Tatum layup at the buzzer. Incredibly, the first time in Boston Celtics playoff history that they'd had a, a game-winning buzzer beater. They've had 358 home games um, in their history, and that was incredibly the first buzzer beater that they'd had. So just an unbelievable game. We had Kyrie Irving going off for 39 points, uh, five rebounds, six assists, flipping off birds left, right, and centre to, to the fans, swearing he was fined $50,000 for, for what he got up to outside of what he did on the court. You know, Kevin Durant was only okay for, for Kevin Durant, I suppose. He was 9 of 14 from the field. But then when you look at what uh, the Boston Celtics were able to do, j- just a really even spread. Tatum was outstanding, 31 points. But then to have uh, Jalen Brown with 23, Horford with 20, Marcus Smart, who was just named Defensive Player of the Year, uh, 20 points as well. Just a really even contribution uh, for the Boston Celtics. And that was probably the thing in the end that were able to push them over the top of the Brooklyn Nets. How do you see this series shaping out, Caddy? It's just going to be an incredible series. I'm looking forward to Game 2 tomorrow to see what that dishes up. To me, this looks like a series that's going to go the, all the way to, to a seventh game. Is that the way that you see it at the moment? Oh, I hope it does because, yeah, I think going into the playoffs, when you looked at the matchups, this was probably the one that stood out to be the most exciting. We've spoken a lot all year around Brooklyn and they were so far down. In the standings, really, they're always going to be a dangerous out in the first round and Boston fell into the second seed in the end to, to get the matchup. But, um, look, you know, for them to, to get that game winner in the end where things looked like it might have been gone for them um, was an outstanding recovery. Uh, they got, you know, really even production out of their, their starting five. They're even the defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, that just been announced yesterday. He was the 20 points, six assists, seven rebounds. So if you're going to get that type of output from a guy like Marcus Smart to complement Tatum and Brown and, and Horford in particular, then, you know, they're going to be right up into their nets in, in this series. And, and the uh, Brooklyn Nets' depth, I suppose, has been a bit of a concern all the way through the year and how, you know, the playoff rotation was going to shake out. So it looked like it was um, Andre Drummond that, you know, didn't get the huge minutes in this game. He, he did have the four fouls, but only the 17 minutes. They went with Claxton a lot more at the five. He played 31 minutes. So there was a bit of a shift there. Goran Dragic got decent uh, minutes off the bench as well. But yeah, interesting to hear some murmurings today for the first time of, of any, I suppose, uh, positive talk around a Ben Simmons potential return. I think we heard that. Surely four, not, Caddy. Four, Surely four. this is not going to happen. They can't bring oh. him into this series after having played for a year, can they? Do, is there any chance of this happening, do you think? 
when you're hearing four on four, I think, you know, you've got to start getting the ears pricked up. I still think it's a bit of a ruse um, just to probably create a bit of um, uh, distance from their first uh, first game loss. But, um, yeah, I'd be surprised, absolutely, if he was to come back. But, you know, it, it adds to the narrative either way. Um, and there's so many storylines around this series already. So, look, um, it's going to be pretty much a flip of the coin all the way through. And um, and because of that, you just never know. You might get a shortened series because, you know, any game could go either way. And if Boston are able to, again, you know, hold fire here at home, then, you know, puts them in a really, really strong position where when Brooklyn do go home, I just think they've probably, out of all the teams just about in the playoffs, probably have the least home court advantage of anyone because that, that stadium really hasn't found its feet yet in terms of really locking into to any of the teams that have played there. So I think when you look at that Boston home crowd and, you, and you've seen other ones already at the start of these playoffs, that, you know, the home crowd can be such a big, um, a big important factor. But I just don't know whether it holds up as well for a team like Brooklyn. But um, yeah, look, it's going to be a superb series. Uh, the game tomorrow, yeah, is an, an absolute must watch on the back of game one. So yeah, really interesting to see how, how it shakes out. Yeah, it's the Boston defense, isn't it? That that's the reason that they've been so successful, particularly in this second half of the season. And we saw it again. Like as I said, Durant was only nine for twenty-four from the field. He only had the five free throws as well. So just excellent defense. And it was really highlighted on that last play of the day where Irving had the ball. He probably held on to a little bit too long. Al Horford doubling at the at the exact perfect time, um, showing, got back the pass out to Durant and Tatum just contesting it. You know. We say that Durant's got almost an unblockable shot and it's really hard to contest, but Tatum contested that perfectly without fouling and that obviously resulted in the miss and led to that, you know, that unbelievable play where where Smart just with the heads up play and Tatum cutting to the basket for that for that layup uh, right at the buzzer. So it's the defense that's gonna make life really difficult for these Brooklyn Nets, and that's why they do need somebody outside of Irving and Durant to step up. You know, Seth Curry, we know, still recovering from an injury, so he's not uh, hasn't been himself since he's come back. Paddy Mills has really dropped off in the second half of the year. They need, I think, they need one of two of one of those guys, Curry or Mills, to to find their footing and start to knock down the three ball. We know both of those guys are capable of doing it. Obviously, the question mark is whether they can do it. And for me, from a Boston Celtics perspective, is still the guy that I sort of highlighted as that X factor in in Derek White, and he played the twenty eight minutes and and did his job. Um, but but still only one for four from three for the seven points. So if he can get his shot going and just support, you know that that four that I mentioned at the start with Tatum, Brown, Horford, and Smart, who who all had excellent games. If they can get another guy chipping in, it's going to make life so much easier for them going forward in this series. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Caddy. With this series, how do you see how do you see it finishing up? Do you think Boston Celtics have got enough to get across the line, or do you do you think just the sheer star power of both Irving and Durant? Maybe with the added bonus of, of uh, Ben Simmons, can get Brooklyn back into the series. Now, look, I think you got to stick with Boston at this point. The continuity, um, the back end of this season, what they've what they've been able to do, and and really, you know, fighting for a one seed towards the end and finishing the second. I think on form, you've just got to lean that way. I understand what you're saying with the star power on the other side, but really, it is only Durant, uh, Kevin Durant, and Irving where you can really categorically class that as star power. The rest of you know pretty much just part pieces at this point where I think there's a much better spread available in, in Boston and we've spoken about the fact they've been able to push that rotation out to eight at this stage. If they can get Robert Williams back at some point, I haven't heard 
an update on him uh, this week, but I think there was confidence that he'd be back in the rotation pretty shortly. So if he can get in and solidify even further the defence, um, they're going to be really hard out, I think, in this series. Yeah, I agree. There, there was certainly rumours early on about Williams potentially coming back during this series. As you said, we haven't really heard anything since the series started. So, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm sticking with Boston in seven. I think it's going to be a really long series. And unfortunately for the Brooklyn Nets, they've just drawn probably the most informed team in the Eastern Conference. If they had had drawn anyone else, they probably would have been a good chance of advancing. So, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see how it goes, and and if Ben Simmons gets out there, Caddy, I think it's going to be a minor miracle after everything that we've we've heard about him throughout the season. We'll move on now, Caddy, to the to the three v six series of Milwaukee Bucks versus your Chicago Bulls. This is again the other series that's only had the one game so far. It was a a bit of a ninety style operation, Caddy, game one, a ninety three eighty six scoreline, which you obviously very rarely see uh, nowadays with with the up tempo game. But it was Giannis who sort of stood head and shoulders above everybody else on the court. He had 27 points, 16 rebounds, three assists. Was limited a little bit by foul trouble, only played the 34 minutes, but he was plus 19 in the minutes uh, he was out on the court, just illustrating, obviously, how important he is uh, to, to this Milwaukee Bucks team. Brooke Lopez was outstanding again. He stepped up um, when Giannis was on the bench. He had 18 points. I think this was a game, Caddy, that Chicago should probably look at and think that it was one that got away. When you look at... You know, Drew Holiday, 15 points. He was only 6 of 16 from the floor. And Chris Middleton, only 11 points, 4 of 13 from the floor. So I think if they were going to pinch a game, you can probably early on in game one is, is one that you could pinch. And given the way that the the you know the second and the third stars behind Giannis played, I think the Bucks, uh, sorry, the Bulls would be disappointed uh, with what that they weren't able to sneak this one in there. How do you see this series shaking out, Caddy? I think before... The series started, everybody looked at this and probably predicted a sweep. But as a Chicago Bulls fan, Caddy, were you heartened by the fact that they're able to, you know, put up a fight for, you know, three and a half quarters and really make Milwaukee earn that game one victory? Yeah, look, I think the, the positive was that, was that they got back into the game because they were getting blown out um, straight out of the gate, effectively. It was a 9-0 uh, lead straight from the first tip and they were 16 points up and it looked like it was all over, you know, really, really early on in this one. So I suppose the... The one positive was they were able to fight back and get into the game, and in the end, probably had their chances to win it before um, Milwaukee were able to close it out. So, yeah, look, as you mentioned, it was probably the the game that they potentially probably had to win if they were going to have any chance in the series. I, look, I don't think there'd be too many people at all that would really probably gave them any chance to win the series, let alone to win even a, a game or two. So, yeah, to to sort of fall short in the end, and um, you know, it was a fifteen to nineteen last quarter, so both teams really went cold and. I mean, the Bulls shooting, when you're looking at their field goals, DeRozan 6-25, Vucevic 9-27, of and Levine 6-19. of I mean, really, really poor numbers. And, and you're not going to shoot 32% from the field as a team and, and beat Milwaukee. And, and I suppose the fact that they were nearly able to do it, um, you know, would give them some confidence. Um, however, I think, as you mentioned, there's a lot more upside uh, to take place in that uh, Milwaukee lineup. So, yeah, probably the one that got away from them in the end when, when you realise that they're probably not going to play as bad as that again, Milwaukee. But that said, there is, with those numbers, you look at it and you go, well, there's still plenty of up, sh- up shoot for Chicago too if they can get the ball to fall. I mean, Vujovic was two from 10 from three and Levine two from 10 from three. So, I mean, they're horrific numbers and um, a lot of wasted opportunities there. So, they're going to need to find a way to get Patrick Williams a little bit more involved in the offence. We know that he's there primarily as a defender, but only three field goal field goal attempts isn't, isn't ideal. They're going to find a way uh, for another scoring avenue, I think, 
um, because when Giannis is in there, he just puts so much pressure on the uh, opposition's offense. I think there's a stat that came out of, of all the 11 really close shots that he defended, that the Bulls only made three of them. So it's really hard to score against him uh, when he's in there bouncing around. So they'll head to Milwaukee tomorrow. I think tomorrow as well for game two. And yeah, look, I, I would be surprised if the Bulls were able to pull that one out, and they'd probably have to take their chances at home. In a, in a couple of days' time. But, um, yeah, look, I, I fear that this will be a pretty short series all the way through and, and Milwaukee to be uh, too good in the end. Have you got any concerns about DeRozan, DeRozan's past playoff history, I suppose? He's he's had a bit of a checkered history. We've seen him when he's at Toronto have a good regular season and then get to the playoffs and fall, and fall apart. We were hoping that wouldn't be the case this year because he'd had an outstanding regular season, but certainly not a not a great start. He's at six of twenty-five. You ran through his numbers. He's not a three-point shooter. We know that. Only the six free throws. He can generally get to the free throw line if he's struggling a little bit, but it wasn't quite there. You would think, Caddy, if the Bulls are going to be any chance at all to get back in this series, they need the Demar the Demar Derozan that we saw throughout the regular season, don't they? Yeah, they do. But look, I think it does get a little bit harder for DeRozan when the game does slow down. We play so much more in the, the half court where you know, he can get to generally get to his spot pretty easily um, when the game's fast, faster flowing and, and the defences are a bit lazy during the regular season. But when things are really tightened up in the playoffs, and we've seen it already um, in a lot of the series uh, so far, the, the pressure just gets a lot more. And if you are relying on that sort of inside-out game and, and not being able to spread the four too much, you, you're going to end up facing, you know, multiple defenders more often than, than you would have seen in the regular season. So he's going to have to find other 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 avenues to score. And in particular, you know, these other guys are going to hit their three-point shots to, to create a bit, of, bit more space in the floor because when it does, you know, close in and the shots aren't falling, then there's no, you know, there's no real incentive for the for the defence to, to get out there and, and, and they can just smother DeRozan inside the paint and um, and those long twos as well. So you know, he, he needs to lift and uh, I think... Not that we, there's a huge legacy on the line or anything, but yeah, I think he'd be definitely looking to impact the playoffs certainly this season. So I'm predicting a sweep from here, Caddy. Unfortunately for your Bulls, how do you see this going from here? Oh, now probably a little bit like the uh, Miami Atlanta. I think at least at home the Bulls should get one. I mean, they'd have to really turn the odds though, because I think against the top sides this year, they're one and fourteen. Uh, the record's terrible. Um, so they just haven't been able to compete at, at, at an elite level when we're talking, you know, top top seeds in, in either conference. They just haven't been able to get near them. So look, I think you know if they can get one at home, it's got to be at the bare minimum. You'd hate to go into the off season getting swept, and then there'll be you know all sorts of questions coming up again around the roster. Um, you know, we may, we know there's been multiple changes made over the past two seasons, which I think for the most part have been positive. But you know, there's a looming Zach Levine extension, which is going to hover. Over the team in this off season, and, and whether you know that's going to be just a walk in the park, a, a layup that's going to get signed, or whether Levine might get a little bit itchy feet and, and start getting courted from outside that, because I think he'll be a, a pretty well sought after free agent in this year's class when there's not a huge amount else um, that's going to be available. So look, he might make the Bulls sweat absolutely. He probably feels he's, he may have been dropped down the order to the second fiddle. Potentially, anyway, uh, behind DeRozan, who's under contract for another two seasons after this one. So that Levine extension is going to be really, really interesting. And I think on the back of a sweep, it, it always leaves a little bit more of a sour taste in people's mouth and say into into the off season. So um, yeah, hopefully the Bulls can make a series of it and at least uh, pinch one of these games at home. Jeez, what a devastating blow that'd be if, if they lost uh, Zach Levine in the off season, given they've given 
they gave up the future first to get Vucevic across and obviously signed DeRozan too to a, to a long-term contract. That'd be that'd be disastrous for the Chicago Bulls. So hopefully, Caddy, for the Bulls' sake, that uh, Levine doesn't look for greener pastures in the offseason. We'll move on now to the 4-5 matchup, Caddy, the Philadelphia versus Toronto, which I think everybody assumed going into this series was one that could potentially see a bit of an upset. Toronto had been, I guess, the trendy pick. Uh, to going into this series to upset Philadelphia, given that Phillies had struggled a little bit in the run home and Toronto had certainly played some really good basketball. But it certainly hasn't been the case so, so far. Philadelphia 131-111 in Game 1 and then backed that up with another nice win, 112-97 in Game 2. And it's just been it's been the two playoff X-Factors, Caddy, that we nominated uh, a week or so ago. Your boy in particular, Tyrese Maxey, has been outstanding at 30 points a game. Six rebounds, five assists, shooting 68-57-100 splits. And then my boy, Tobias Harris, who I said really needed to step up and, and in particular start knocking down the three ball. Well, he's done that. He's averaging 23 points, eight rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting 64-75-80 splits. So it's been really impressive that those two guys have stood up, taken a bit of pressure off Joel Embiid, who's still been been very good. He's had, he's had a great series so far. James Harden's just sort of been a little bit in the background, if you as much as you can be when you're averaging 18 points and 10 rebounds. Um, the disappointing aspect for me has been the fact that this Toronto defense, which has been so sort of vaunted throughout the season, just hasn't really come to the party so far. Philadelphia are only averaging 10 turnovers a game, which is a really small number considering, you know, we've seen James Harden uh, be really prone to high turnover games, particularly in playoffs when the when the defense ramps right up. He's only averaging three turnovers a game. So they just haven't been able to put enough pressure so far on Philadelphia. And it's been been pretty easy, to be honest, so far, which has been disappointing. Now, obviously, the series swings over now to Toronto. We know Matisse Thibel can't play in these games, given his vaccination status. So do you see, Caddy, any way Toronto can get back into this series? Or given the fact that, you know, uh, Scotty Barnes is also injured, um, Gary Trent Jr. has basically been a no-show given he's got an illness. So they've got a sort of a, a a laundry list of players that are probably carrying some injuries. Do you think that it's it's pretty much series over or do you think that Toronto can eat their way back into the series? Now, I'm getting the feeling this one's going to be done pretty quickly. Um, initially, it looked like it might have been the bogey series, the, the one that you could have looked at as an upset. Toronto came into the playoffs really playing terrifically well and there's obviously some still questions um, that needed to be answered around Philadelphia and how they were going to gel together. In these playoffs, well, look, that Scotty Barnes injury is a, a real shame and a disaster for Toronto. He becomes such an important player for them, and, and as you mentioned, Trent Jr. just hasn't been able to get, um, you know, feel healthy enough to, to play what he, the normal minutes he'd like to play. So, uh, look, I think when we looked at the series and potentially, you know, even Thigh would not be able to go to Toronto, and there's all these sort of, you know, nuances happening in, in and around it. I, I think the the way that Philadelphia have come out and gone bang bang in these first two games and really put it put Toronto to the sword pretty early on in, in both of them and, and the games effectively being being blowouts. So it's going to be really hard to see how Toronto can respond. I think uh, the 76ers will get a lot of um, a lot of encouragement, enthusiasm about the way they've started off. Even seeing Danny Green get up and you know slam you know, put down a couple of big jams as well. And you know you're not having out. a great night when Danny Green dunks on your caddy. No, that's right. And, and Thibel, in a sense, had only been playing minor minutes in these first two games. So I don't know whether that was intentional by Philadelphia to kind of, you know, work through and, and make sure that they were going to be, be able to solidify behind him. But yeah, he, he's not going to be as big a, 
out as we probably initially thought because the minutes have been pretty low. So they've still got guys like Corkmaz who who hasn't been playing when he's playing game two at a minimum. So there's some minutes there to, to be eaten up. I think they can they can cover it. So yeah, look, I, I like Philadelphia now to to probably go in and sweep this series and and um, get this one um, done pretty quickly. Yeah, you would have got pretty good odds, I reckon, about Philly sweeping this series at the start. But I'm going to say Toronto are going to take at least one game. They have got a fantastic home court advantage in Toronto. They obviously didn't play there last year, so no doubt the the fans and Jurassic Park will be up and roaring. But, yeah, it's just there's too many injuries at the moment. Scotty Barnes, I'm not sure he's due back within the next couple of games. With Gary Trent Jr., he was probably not going to play last game, but he got out there and tried to play and was clearly under the weather, so couldn't go on. So given that they're... That we'd spoken about during the season how much, how many minutes the top guys were playing because Nick Nurse didn't have a lot of confidence in the guys underneath sort of the, the, the starting five, really. To to lose two of those guys that were uh, contributing pretty heavily is going to make it really difficult. You start looking at guys like, can they get much out of Precious Chatur and, and Chris Boucher and you know, can Ken Birch have an impact? Thaddeus Young's carrying a thumb injury, apparently, so he's been disappointing as well. So there's just not enough to, to come up behind you know, and cover for the loss of Barnes and Trent Jr. Certainly Pascal Siakam can can step up a little bit. He had an outstanding finish to the season, and we think he's probably going to end up in an all, uh, deservedly so, on an all-NBA team. He's been okay so far in the in the first couple of games, but for Toronto to be competitive with this Philadelphia team, we can't just have an okay Siakam. We need a, you know, all-NBA, and even above, he needs to be playing as, you know, a top fifth, a top 10 player almost in the NBA to, to have any chance. So I'm, I'm predicting uh, Philly to win it in five, and you're saying it's going to be a sweep. So, yeah, it certainly turned out to be a disappointing series given what we thought it was going to be uh, leading into the into the playoffs. We're going to flick over now, Caddy, into the West, and what's turning out to be a bit of an intriguing series, the the first place uh, Phoenix Suns and the eighth seed New Orleans Pelicans. We had game two today, but we'll quickly touch on game one. It was Phoenix 110-99 in a Chris Paul masterpiece. Uh, he had 30.7 rebounds and 10 assists, including 19 points in the last quarter where he just had his fingerprints all over that game when New Orleans sort of threatened to ease their way back into that game after they'd been held to 36 points, I think it was, in the first half of that game. But they showed enough in the second half of that game to think, oh, hang on, we might have a bit of a series. And then they certainly proved that today with a 125-114 win over the Phoenix Suns. And I guess the biggest story out of this was the the right hamstring injury to Devin Booker, who was absolutely outstanding in the first half, 31 points, including two buzzer beaters. He had one buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter where he dapped up a baby caddy. I don't know if you saw the footage of that. That was uh, that was outstanding. And then he had a, a long three-point uh, bomb pretty much on the halftime buzzer. So, two, as I said, two buzzer beaters in the first half was playing outstanding, but then he was trying to chase down Jackson Hayes on, on a breakaway dunk and went to jump and sort of clutched at his hamstring and set out the rest of the game. I don't know if we've heard any more uh, since that game, but certainly not a good sign. You, you lose game two and you lose you, you lose your star uh, shooting guard, but it was uh, Brandon Ingram that, that led uh, the Pelicans to this win with 37 points, 26 of those coming in the second half, uh, 11 rebounds and nine assists. So as I said, Caddy, it's turned into a bit of an intriguing series now with it, with this injury to Booker. How do you see this one shaking out? Do you think there's any chance that the Pelicans can, can cause an upset or do you do you expect Phoenix to regroup and, and you know, be able to cover this Devin Booker loss? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's flipped on its head, really, in the last 24 hours, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think New Orleans 
went in there pretty well in game one. I think they handled themselves in the occasion occasion pretty good because they also were coming off a lot of emotion coming through the playing tournament where they were able to knock out firstly the San Antonio Spurs and then really when it looked like they were gone in the next game against the Clippers they found a way to, to come through and win that so they came in with a lot of momentum and I think um, they certainly weren't overwhelmed in game one albeit in a loss and it really as you mentioned took a, a Chris Paul uh, masterclass to really see Phoenix over the line in that one and they were probably looking like you know, things might have got ahead of them or away from them today um, with Booker going off in, in that first half. But even so, they were still hanging in there even to that point. So the Suns just haven't been able to shake them uh, just yet. So look, you still expect um, all things pending the Devin Booker hamstring injury that um, Phoenix should be able to find a way out of the series and find a way out relatively comfortably. But yeah, I think uh, New Orleans have certainly showed early on that they're not going to, they can't be taken lightly. Uh, Brandon Ingram, obviously today, elevated his game to, to a level we probably haven't seen um, on such an occasion before. So he was absolutely outstanding. They've got experience. We know uh, CJ McCollum and Valentina. So, you know, now we're getting to see uh, some real excitement out of Herb Jones in particular. I really like the way he went about it in both the playing games. He was outstanding with his, his defense, obviously, but also knocking down wide open threes. And if he can do that, he's going to be a real handful moving forward for a guy that they picked or found in the second round. So the other one's Jackson Hayes, who who today, um, you know, played really well again. He, he's playing some decent minutes in the big big man spots in, in both games so far, defensively being, being pretty good as well. And, um, yeah, for a guy that, again, was looked at maybe as a lottery bust a, a year or so ago, he's been able to continue to develop, um, you know, and they've been patient with him and it's starting to pay off. So, look, when you go down the lineup, I don't know that they'll have enough in the end to, to get through. But, you know, they, 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 they've certainly put themselves on the map with to be a team to be reckoned with. If you can only imagine what Zion Williamson would do to this group. We've got to start getting rumours about Zion coming back, Caddy. We've seen him dunking between his legs. Is there any chance that Zion makes an appearance if they get back into the series? Well, look, I think if they win the next one at home, then there'll be all sorts of um, talk about it and scuttlebutt, I'm sure. But, look, I think, again, unrealistic that we'll see him out on the court and, and again, probably a bit... Um, yeah, probably too early for him at this point of the season to try and rush back. And I think you know, there's enough positivity that's happened. The fact they've made the playoffs is, is, is again, outstanding. They were, they were terrible to start the season. They just look so far out of their depth and, you know, look like they were going to be right in the thick of the lottery action. But they've been able to turn it around really on the back of the Lakers falling apart as well. They kind of um, saw that, uh, that opening in the playing area and they were able to get through and, and really make a fist of it so far. The level of the series is more than I think a lot of people thought could have even happened again. This looked like it was the, the most likely uh, sweep potentially in the Western Conference. But, you know, they've been able to get to 1-1 and now shift the series back to New Orleans. And that crowd will go bananas when they get down there in the next game and, and be a real advantage for them as well. So, you know, if Booker misses that game, then you've got to give advantage perhaps to the Pelicans in that one. And then from there, who knows, at 2-1 up, um, you know, they're going to have uh, a lot of momentum. But um, a lot of work to do there and, and Phoenix... Um, probably need to settle now and reassess and, and find their way in. We, we spoke um, a little bit, I think, even last week about their depth and how we felt that, you know, if that, that they were looked to be one of the teams that probably could handle an injury or two. Ideally, if it wasn't Devin Booker, <laughs> it would be a lot easier to overcome, but yeah, they do have a lot of um, other parts on that roster that can, that can come in and, and assist them. They certainly do. So they're going to be looking squarely at, you know, Mikel Bridges to, to lift his scoring rate, Cam Johnson, you know, who you highlighted leading to the series as an X-Factor, they're going to need him to lift his scoring rate as well. We've seen him do it, 
during the regular season, so there's no reason he can't do it. Campaign, who's been almost a no-show so far. DeAndre Ayton, they need some more points and more rebounds out of him. He's getting – Valanchunas is averaging 19 rebounds a game, eight on the offensive end, and Ayton's only averaging nine, so he's he's been, he's been monstered on the glass. So they need these guys in particular step up, and this game three is absolutely pivotal. As you said, you know, the Pelicans with a home, a home game, the crowd are going to be going bananas. If they can pinch this game – the amount of self-belief they're going to get from that could just really snowball and make life extremely difficult for Phoenix. But I'm predicting that the Phoenix bounce back in Game 3. I'm going to predict just a Chris Paul masterpiece again, as we saw in that last quarter in Game 1. He's going to slow the game down, play it at his tempo, get everything that he wants, and I think they're going to get across the line. But I still think this is going to be a series. I'm predicting Phoenix in six from here. What about you, Caddy? How, how long do you think this series is going to go for, and do you ultimately think it'll be... Phoenix it gets across the line. Yeah, I think I agree there. I think it'll be six. Um, then, then the split games again here in New Orleans. Go back um, to all and then in that game, six in New Orleans, I think Phoenix will be too good in the end if they can get all their players back on the court. But an admirable effort if that's how it goes and the Pelicans can get two games, they'd be an outstanding effort. I mean, if they get three games, it'd be even a, a bigger shock and, and, and force a game seven would be, be amazing. But um yeah, credit to them so far. They've certainly added a little bit of spice into a series where I think um, initially you would have thought it was um, going to be one that you probably wouldn't have paid a lot of attention to. Oh, no doubt. And it certainly paints a rosy picture for them going forward. And as you said, such a turnaround from the start of the season. I think we both wrote them off when they were, what were they, like 1-12 and 12 or something stupid at one stage. And now, now all of a sudden you're looking at them going, geez, you had Zion Williamson into this mix and how dangerous can they be going forward. So it'll be... Game three, really intriguing. One of the more intriguing game threes we've got, I think, um, in the remaining of the playoffs. We'll move on now, Caddy, to the 2v7, the Memphis v Minnesota. And it was Minnesota who came out and threw the first punch in game one, 130-117. And Anthony Edwards, who had been outstanding in the playing game as well, just had an outstanding game one, 36 points, 12-23 from the field. But predictably, I guess it was Memphis who responded uh, today with a 124-96 win over the the Timberwolves, and it was Ja Morant with an almost triple double. He had 23-9 and 10, and just a really even contribution. They had you know J- Jaron Jackson Jr. 16 points, Desmond Bain 16, Brandon Clark 13 points, Zaire Williams 13 points, Xavier Tillman 13 points, Tyus Jones 10 points. So outside of their, their star Morant, they had a lot of guys come to the party. And that was the reason they were able to get across the line. And I guess going into this series as well, that was probably the the key point that everybody looked at and said, well, the, the Memphis Grizzlies have just got so much depth. depth. Yes, they've got a superstar, Jar Morant, but they bat really deep. And then when you swing over and look at the Minnesota side of things, they've got three really good players, although D'Angelo Russell has, has really um, not come to the party at all so far. He was outstanding in that playing game where when uh, – Carl Anthony Towns with a no-show, but so far in this series, he's only only averaging the 10.5 points, 6.5 assists, shooting 22% from the field and 30% from three. So he, he's been disappointing. But when you looked at them, you said they've got three really good players and then it probably drops off and, you know, can they maintain the rage throughout the series given, given Memphis's depth? So given that uh, Memphis, Caddy, have now got their way back into this series, they've got the split at home. Do you think now they're going to be able to roll on to to a pretty comfortable series victory, or do you think uh, with this series now swimming swinging to Minnesota and Edwards Towns and potentially Russell going home to to some home cooking that 
Minnesota is still a chance and, and can maybe cause an upset in this series. Yeah, it's been a, I think, Gavin, going into it, I think there was a lot of probably uncertainty on both ends around how this would shake out for both teams because Memphis really haven't been to this level um, in terms of it being expected to win and win well. And the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, they really fought their way in and, and it's probably been one of the biggest surprise packets of the season to even be there. And I think the way that they won that playing game and the, the scenes of jubilation and, and um, <laughs> the raucousness of that arena. Um, that Beverly jumping up on the scorer's table for a playing win. Yeah, some real scenes. And I think there was some um, a bit of feedback and, uh, and um, yeah, a lot of negativity from, from current players and past players you, you could see on Twitter following that. But, oh, look, I, I watched that game and, and you sort of it was hard not to get caught up in the emotion of what was happening. And, and to be fair, you know, for a franchise that have really only had the one playoff appearance of the best part of 20 years. Uh, look, I, I didn't begrudge them at all to, to really relish that moment. The, Surely the there's relief. nothing wrong with celebrating a win. Do we do we have to be so robotic that you've got to keep it all under wraps and, let, let, you know, let's just celebrate back in the room? Celebrate with your crowd, Caddy. You have had bugger all to celebrate over the last five or six years. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think, you know, the, it's such a long season. Um, you know, it, at the end of it, there's only going to be one winner out of 30 teams and it's really hard to do it, as, as most <laughs> most franchises understand. So the fact that, you know, they've given themselves a chance here to at least be a participant in the playoffs when there was no certainty of that even going into the plane when they, you know, had qualified theoretically as a seven seed, that's to still fight their way through. And, and to beat a team like the LA Clippers, um, who was probably more highly fancied in that game, look, I thought it was an outstanding effort. They, they really generate a lot of buzz, particularly on the back of the, the form of a guy like Anthony Edwards and, and also D'Angelo Russell in that game. And when you had a bulldog like Beverly really ramping things up as well, I think, you know, that enthusiasm for them, I, I felt, um, you know, went into that first game against Memphis and I was sort of able to ride that into that. You know, I think there was a clear drop off in, in that game today for them um, where they came back to work a little bit. But, um, look, I think this is a series, this one, and, and I think Memphis are going to have to really work hard this. And I'm not sure what happened to Stephen Adams in this game today, just the three minutes. Um, he, I know the game before he played about 20 minutes and didn't score either. So he, str- he struggled game one, I think. He was exposed. So maybe they've looked at that and said, well, we can't really play him in this series. No, he might have been played off the floor already. So, yeah, they're going to find have to find some other avenues, which you mentioned that they've got the depth to probably do that. But um, no, I think this is a series. And I think, again, this home floor that Minnesota will go back to, knowing they've come back one all, it just gives a different... Um, environment and a different atmosphere than say if they were coming back at zip two and you know there's a little bit more nervousness in the crowd but here they, they can have a bit of a free swing in this first game I think and, and really um you know come it come to play and really you know use that youthful exuberance they have and we know Memphis is a young team also but I, I think this series is up for grabs um potentially and I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it almost went the distance. So this is a series that has got two of the most bankable and watchable players in the NBA at the moment I'd think for me, you know, if you're talking about a top five of guys you just want to watch, both Edwards and Morant are in that. I'd have Curry, Chris Paul, and probably Giannis in there as well. But th- these two guys, given their age and just their their absolute pure athleticism, are just a real joy to watch. So I mentioned earlier for for Minnesota to 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 win this series, they certainly need Russell to come to the party. But for me, I just think Memphis's depth is going to be too much, and I'm predicting them in six from here. What about you, Caddy? Are you sticking with Memphis, or do you think Minnesota can cause that upset? No, look, I think Memphis will get there in the end, but I'm going to go Memphis in seven. I think this, they'll split it 3-3, three, three and, and Memphis will have to do the damage at home in, in 
in that seventh game and, and um, yeah, I just think their Timberwolves are here, here to be reckoned with and, um, yeah, if they can get a little bit more out of their bench, I know Naz Reed, you know, he, he was good in the play-in but, again, didn't really get anything going um, so far in these first two games. So they're going to need that, that full complement of players that they have there to, to support. But um, they'll go uh, the t- uh, Memphis Grizzlies in seven. Well, that would be brilliant. Just another really intriguing series. Moving on to a series that's probably not all that intriguing given what we've seen so far is the, the third seed Golden State Warriors versus the sixth seed Denver Nuggets. Game one was Golden State 123-107 and game two another blowout 126-106 to, to Golden State. So just what we've seen so far from the Golden State Warriors, I must admit I had big question mark on them heading into the to the playoffs. They'd sort of hadn't finished the playoff, uh, the regular season all that well. There were some question marks about Curry's health, Clay Thompson's form, you know, whether Draymond Green was at his absolute best. But, you know, they've certainly put all those doubts to rest so far. And it's been been your man that you predicted, Caddy, uh, as the X Factor. Jordan Poole's just been outstanding so far. Almost 30 points a game, five assists, 65% from the field, 58% from three at, at eight and a half attempts. So it's not as if he's only taking a couple of games. He's... He's never shy about firing away. And Steph Curry, incredibly coming off the bench, 25 points a game, four assists, uh, 56-50-80 splits. I just want to ask you this, Caddy. Can you think of another MVP, a two-time MVP, a guy who was the favourite for the first half of the year to win his third MVP? Could you see another guy with those credentials still in his prime, happy enough to come off the bench? I couldn't imagine a LeBron or a Giannis, or you know, a Kobe Bryant, or a Shaq, or any of these guys in the past coming off the bench. But that, that speaks volumes to me about Curry's uh, just his his sheer you know willingness to do what's best for the team to come off the bench. That's a that's a huge tick for me for for Steph Curry. Yeah, I was just only thinking of it before, and yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there'd be any any player at that level uh, that would be taking it in his stride as, as Curry has. And look, and we probably don't totally understand the extent of whatever injury. He's playing with them, whether there's some sort of limit um, in terms of minutes that he's going to be able to play anyway. But um, now for him to come off, you know, gracefully, and even uh, in this last game where they're on a huge roll at the end of the uh, second quarter in this game, Denver had actually built up about a double-figure lead on them. And then in the last three or four minutes of that second quarter in game two, the Warriors went absolutely bananas on the back of what Steph Curry was doing. And it would have been right to, I suppose it would have felt right for him to come out and start the third quarter. But no, they went back to the starting lineup. Carry on the bench again, and yeah, they didn't miss a beat. And um, yeah, they, it's, it's crazy to think that you know they may have found something in this. But um, surely, yeah, surely he doesn't stay there for too much longer. I, I'm I'm praising him for doing it now, but you'd imagine he's going to ease his way into the starting lineup pretty soon, wouldn't he? Well, I mean, I don't know who spot's he going to take because I don't think it's going to be Jordan Pools because he's he's no, really no, the guy. It won't be Paul. No. Yeah. No, I think he's almost the guy now. That, that you know can give them all that energy and, and, and sort of be play almost a leading role, which is just incredible to say when you think this guy was in the G League at the start of last season. So it's an absolutely incredible performance that he's got to this level, not just to be a, a serviceable NBA player, but a guy that was you know scoring you know in the 30s you know for fun in the back half of this season. He's come out as you mentioned both playoff games and, and gone bang bang, and, and it's just been able to give such incredible support now to, to Curry and Thompson, who you know to be fair still probably. You know, finding his feet and getting his ears wet um, in, in terms of his confidence levels. But, um, yeah, what we saw in, in Game 2, I felt in particular, um, and in Game 1 when that, I don't know what you're going to call it, the death lineup. Um, yeah, the, the was, new death lineup, yep. 
the three G or whatever whatever they're going to go with. That's horrible. Um, we're not we're not we're not calling it three G, Caddy. That's no good. With Green, Wiggins, Thompson, Paul, and Curry, that the, the numbers were off the charts in game one and game two, and and they'd only played all together in, in a game once in the whole season. Those five guys. So yeah, there's a lot of upside in this Warriors thing. I think all of a sudden they're with on on the back of even Phoenix's loss today, they've probably gone in as they probably shifted the momentum a little bit to perhaps being. The favourite now to come out of the West, which is just incredible because, um, yeah, there was a lot of doubt, really an uncertainty coming in as to, to what they were going to look like in these playoffs. And, and they've really been so incredibly good, almost as, as incredibly good as Denver have probably been incredibly bad. And there's, you know, a number of reasons for that. The, the biggest one is that there's just a lack of talent around Nikola Jokic, and who's just getting increasingly frustrated. Um, with the defence that Draymond Green in particular is playing on him. It's, game two was ultra-physical, and in the end, uh, Jokic, I think, probably purposely got himself ejected. He just couldn't go anymore with it. He does that um, from time uh, to time. He just, oh, I've had enough of this. I'm getting out of here. And it was probably a fair play in the end. I might have done the same thing. He, he just wasn't getting any whistles. And, and uh, look, his numbers on paper looked all right, but, yeah, he just wasn't having any effects um, where he needed to be. And, and Draymond Green was just absolutely all over him, and, and he was better off having an early shower when it was pretty clear they weren't going to win the game. So, yeah, they've got a lot of problems to overcome here, Denver, um, not only on the scoreboard, but also the internal uh, bickering that we saw in this game as well with um, uh, Will Barton and Marcus Cousins almost coming to blows on the bench um, <laughs> as well. So they've got, got some real problems here, and, um, yeah, it's going to be hard to see Denver being able to reverse this series back into their favour, you know, you'd, you'd think the altitude and going back to Denver and, and the fact that you'd have to think it's almost impossible Golden State can play as well as they have. Their shooting's just been um, lights out, so there'll be a drop-off at some point for sure, you think, in the next two games. But, yeah, hard to see a way out of this series for Denver. Oh, it certainly is. And you mentioned the fact that Jokic just has no... No support around him. Barton's averaging 18 points a game. And then you're going down to Bones Highland, 11 points. Monte Morris, 11 points. Aaron Gordon just been super disappointing, only averaging the 7.5 points at 31% from the field and 14% from three. So, And what about my man, Bryn Forbes, though, off the bench in this one? 10 points in 24 minutes. It's, you know, a really solid uh, performance. <laughs> and, and a guy that you just can't roll off at this time of the year. Oh, I'm shocked that it's actually taken your caddy to the 49, almost 50 minute mark of our podcast to uh, to bring to bring Bryn Forbes up. Uh, I thought you might have shoehorned him into to one of the other series somehow, but there he was. He's made he's made his appearance. So there you go. Well done, caddy. You brought up Bryn Forbes, but uh, no, it's it's it looks like this series is over without a shadow of a doubt. I guess it's hard to to sort of guide um, how well Golden State are going. Now you said that this is probably push them up into the favourites uh, in the West. It probably has, but, I mean, I don't know how much we can get out of this because it's just been it's been pretty easy if we're being brutally honest. Yes, they're playing well, but I don't think they're getting a hell of a lot of resistance from, from this Denver Nuggets team. So and you brought up the fact how well they're shooting. Pull, uh, pull 58% from three, Curry 50% from three, Thompson 44% from three, uh, Wiggins 60% from three. So, yeah, surely these numbers are going to come back down, but when you're not being put under enough pressure, it certainly makes life much easier uh, for you. So, yeah, I'm certainly predicting a sweep. It sounds like you are as well, Caddy. Oh, yeah, I think so. Look, I think Denver looked pretty demoralised um, in that game too. So, yeah, it's going to take a huge momentum shift um, for them to overcome it. And I think, you know, we've just seen the Warriors and the depth they have, the fact that Kaminga and, and these guys and, and Lee and um, Moody that have played, you know, big parts for them during this season are only getting on in junk time now. So, they've got depth there and, um, yeah, 
that they found a, a very, very winning formula with that uh, five-man um, death lineup. I hope it's not a sweep, even though I'm predicting it, because you can imagine if Jokic gets the MVP, which we probably think he's going to, the amount of flack he's going to cop on Twitter for being an MVP that gets swept in the first round. So I'm hoping, at least for his sake, they can make an interesting they can make it an interesting series. But at this stage, that's looking uh, pretty long odds. Moving on now to the last series, a very interesting series, the, the four-seed Dallas Mavericks versus the fifth-seed Utah Jazz. So it was game one, it was Utah 99-93, but it was Dallas who bounced back uh, in game two, 110-104, and it was on the back of just an incredible game from, from Jalen Brunson. He had 41 points, a team-high eight rebounds. So this is a guy who's about five foot two with a team-high eight rebounds, just sort of illustrating uh, the impact he had on the game. He had the five assists and the two steals also, 15 to 25 from the field, six of 10 from three. And the German may potentially caddy the best shooter to come out of Germany, uh, Maxi Kleber, 25 points, eight of, eight of 11 from three. Seven of those uh, were uncontested, which was just sort of speaks volumes to, to just the Utah Jazz's defense, which is just absolutely broken down again in the playoffs. We see it, we see it year after year. The, the team spread them out, and just their perimeter defense isn't good enough. You know, they get past that first line of defense. They have to collapse, kick out, open three, and it was Dallas who made 17 uncontested three-pointers, which is the most by any team in the last 10 postseasons, just illustrating how poor that uh, perimeter defense was by the Utah Jazz. And they've actually only forced 10 turnovers in two games, which is just mind-boggling. Only three in game two, and all of those came came from Spencer Dinwiddie. So... It's looking a bit sort of Groundhog Day-ish, isn't it, Caddy, for the Utah Jazz? We've we've read this book before. They have a decent enough regular season. They get to the playoffs. They get exposed. Their perimeter defense isn't good enough. It becomes a, a Donovan Mitchell sort of, you know, Donovan Mitchell or nothing. And we saw it again yesterday in that fourth quarter. He was 3 of 11 from the field, so he took 11 shots in that last quarter, despite the fact that Bogdanovich had East straight going. He was 4 from 6 for that quarter. Uh, Royce O'Neal was 2 for 2 from the quarter and Jordan Clarkson who actually had a really good game 8 of 11 from the field was 1 of 1 from the field in that last quarter so again it seems to be they're living and dying by Donovan Mitchell and in game 2 you know they were dead so certainly a disappointing game 2 and we haven't even spoken about the fact that uh, Luka Doncic hasn't even played a game yet so we're expecting he's probably going to get back for game 3 maybe but certainly probably game 4 is probably more a realistic sort of target for him. So how do you see this series shaking out now, Caddy? Are you disappointed by the fact that the Utah weren't able to win game one and two given Doncic was was absent? Or do you think they're probably still in the driver's seat given that they now swing home to Utah and he's probably still going to miss game three? Oh, look, I'm certainly no body um, body expert in terms of the, the language that's coming off the court. But, um, yeah, it, it was hard not to feel that there's going to be some real changes in Utah potentially as soon as this offseason. It just looks like they probably feel even internally that this this is just isn't working. I mean, they had the opportunity here to, to take both games off Dallas without Doncic in Dallas and really, you know, probably swing the narrative a little bit uh, because I think people will go into the series expecting them probably to lose and then, yeah, for all the shit to blow up around them. But to, to get the the opportunity to play uh, two games in Dallas without Doncic and to not be able to sort of come away with both wins, I think is going to put them probably on the back foot. I know we they are going back to Utah, but look, if, if, if Doncic can come back as soon as in this next game, then it's going to make it really, really hard, I think, for Utah to get to, to win the series because they just look like um, 
that they were cooked effectively. The defense had just given up. The fact that you know you let a guy like Kleber, you know, just stand there and bang eight from eleven from three, uh, speaks volume for the the lack of perimeter defense. And it, it's been an issue for a while um, that they've been trying to cover up in in different forms. But um, yeah, too much reliance then on, on go bed deeper on um, once 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 it collapses. Out near the perimeter, and you know they're just looking at each other, going, "What the hell's going on?" And, and go there. The frustration, I'm sure, just continues to mount. They don't look for him at all offensively. He's just having to do all the other work from the rebounding and block shots, and and that you know just being a sitting duck um, on defense. So look, I, I think the party could be over here in Utah as soon as this off season, and I don't think they can win this series as much as they you know they've been able to tie it in Dallas and head to Utah. You know, with with some advantage, you, you you might expect, but I just don't think they've shown enough in these games. The defensive issues are huge. Um, to let a guy, as you mentioned, like Brunson, you know, just torture for forty one, um, you know, just doesn't bode well for me for them to get out of this series. So look, I don't think it'll be over quickly, but I think it'll be a, a slow, piercing death uh, for Utah, and it could take seven games. But I think Dallas will get there. They just need more out of Mike Conley, don't they? I mean, he was brought into this team to be that sort of piece that took them. Over the top, I suppose. He was an all-star. I think it was last season he was an all-star. But he's certainly showing his age at the moment. He's getting burnt on the perimeter. And to make matters worse, he's he's not even contributing offensively, shooting only 31% from the field and 20% from three. And you brought up the fact that they just don't involve Gobert at all. Now, he's obviously not, you know, Wilt Chamberlain on the offensive end. But surely, Caddy, you can... Conley can throw him some lobs or something. He's only averaging three shots a game, which for a guy who's seven foot two or whatever the hell he is, surely you can get the guy more than three shots a game. Now he's averaging six free throws a game, so that sort of takes away some of those shots, but it's still it's still not good enough. Their, their offense is broken. It's it's too as I said, too reliant upon Mitchell. Bogdanovich has actually been really good for them so far. Twenty five points a game, fifty seven percent from the field. So they've got some guys who are actually putting the, the ball in the basket, but it's it's just become too heavily reliant uh, on Donovan Mitchell. So for me, I'm still I still haven't given up hope on Utah Jazz just because of that uncertainty around when Doncic is due back, and you know, can, can if he doesn't get back for Game Three or Game Four, can can Dallas rely on upon Brunson going for forty one points again? You know, it's probably unlikely. So it's a really interesting one for me. I'm I'm gonna stick with Utah in seven just because of that doubt about Doncic. But it sounds like for me that you're gonna stick with go go with Dallas in this series. Yeah, I think Dallas in seven. I mean, like you look back at even the trade period and with the Joe Ingles thing, I know Gobert's certainly probably missing him from he's probably the one guy that didn't, you know, look after him offensively. But how they didn't turn any of that into a into a player, a meaningful player that contributed Crazy, to wasn't it? Didn't make I mean, a lot of got, sense. No, Nikolai Alexander Walker just can't even get get on the court. What's happened to Rudy Gay? Eric Pascal used to be at least a reasonable player for the Warriors. So they're three guys that got you know, not even getting minutes in this as well. So look, not sure where they're at. Um you know, going forward, as I said, you know, you mentioned Conley is still under contract for 22 and 24 million for the next two years. I don't know how well that contract's going to age. And then clearly, I think there needs to be a separation at some point now between Mitchell and Gobert. And I dare say it could be Mitchell that could be looking to force his way out. Yeah, well, apparently the, the New York Knicks have been <laughs> at the first couple of games. So that's uh, maybe they're doing a bit of bit of scouting for, for the guy that they want to get their hands on. So, yeah, if Utah do go down in this series, there's absolutely no doubt that there's going to be a pretty significant shake-up there. So, as I said, I am predicting that they will get across the line in seven just because of that Doncic um, injury and, you know, the uncertainty about when he's going to be due back. But uh, 
just for some uh, for some shits and giggles, Caddy, I would like to see Utah lose and then see what actually did unfold in the offseason. But we'll call it there, Caddy. Obviously, a long episode to get through through the eight series. Plenty of intrigue over the next couple of days that, that will shape a lot of these series. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. But as I say, every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. If you haven't jumped on Apple Podcasts as yet and given us a five-star rating, please do so. That would be much appreciated. We've also got the Facebook page up and going where all the episodes get posted onto there. So if you like the page, you'll know when we post an episode. Until next week, we'll talk to you then.